Nice to be here. Welcome. You know, I'm not going to start till I hear massive applause. So you probably knew that, huh? Prima donna blues musicians, you know? Davis a minute ago. Was something recently discovered. Reverend Gary Davis, great uh, ragtime gospel blues man. Now let me start off with this other one. I used to play this one with Devil in a Woodpile a lot. A ragtimey thing from Memphis.
They won't treat me right Trying to keep the drink and whiskey out of my sight Till I can stop that thing I mean the same thing I'm getting tired of telling you about hearing them dang dongs ring How long you been crying? Born on my gal I'm thinking about the times that I left town to be stomping that
be the appropriate response. Thank you. you know, we were talking earlier about Gary Davis, mm -hmm. and there was sort of this scene of, uh, you know, the re folk revival people, I think, I imagine, were still kind of around when you were coming up. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's was that, did that have an effect on you? Yeah, I've actually a very direct effect. Uh, being in the New York City area, you know, there was still a lot of those old folkies uh -huh. who were hanging around. Uh, John Hammond, Pete Seeger, guys like that. And, you know, I was a kid. I always wanted to play the guitar, even when I was just this, this high. Uh -huh. um, I remember early on, uh, one of my aunts, my mother's sister, we would, we would go and visit, and, you know, the parents would start talking like parents do. Uh -huh. And they had this junky little guitar that sat in the living room back behind the chairs. It was really just like a piece of furniture. And I remember when I would get terribly bored and I was done playing with my cousins, I remember I would sneak off and, and hide in the corner with this little guitar. And you'll sit there and just kind of play with it real quiet. Mm -hmm. I wasn't playing anything and I didn't want to be heard because I thought it was furniture. So I figured <laughs> I, I'd get in trouble for playing with the furniture. <laughs> And, uh, but that was really like my first sit down and hold a guitar. Uh -huh. And then, you know, my parents bought me a little like plastic toy guitar that was all smashed up mm -hmm. by the time I got through with it. But, you know, I remember I would organize my friends into like pretend bands. I'd tell you, I'd give this kid like some pillows. You're the drummer. And I'd stand up there with my guitar with no strings and go, John, 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 and act like I was the Beatles. Um, so I was always noodling around with the guitar and thinking about music when I was a kid. And then when I was about 13, the end of eighth grade, 12 or 13, uh, you know, I finally got, wanted to get serious about it. Uh -huh. And I got a, a, a nice harmony guitar, like, you know, so many kids yeah. got the little harmony, they were cheap back then. Now they're not so cheap. <laughs> They've discovered they're good guitars. I didn't know that. I wish I still had my old harmony. Uh, and my parent, they found this place called the Guitar Workshop, which was really, you know, run by a bunch of, essentially, a lot of the old folkies. Uh -huh. uh, Jeff Davis and Jeff Warner, they were like the directors, very well known, you know, out, mm -hmm. of, the, out of that 60s folk music revival. And, you know, it was, it was really, I think in a lot of ways, you know, uh, uh, an early 70s version of probably what the Old Town School was like. Right. You know, much, not very, you know, not a, a small thing, a little day, a converted school building that, that you know, a bunch of these old folkies had rented and turned into a bunch of classrooms. They had classes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they hooked me up with a guitar teacher named Peter Pickow who was, um, they basically said, well, he's real good with the kids. Um, I found out years later that Peter Pickow's father was a fellow named George Pickow, whose wife was Jean Ritchie. Wow. I didn't know this until, like, you know, I was, you know, in my 20s, and I was in a store in, in Harvard Square in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, reading this little book about old folk singers, and... And there's Gene Ritchie with her family. 
and her son Peter. I said, well, how do you like that? And he, he was the first one who started to, you know, expose me to the old blues singers. Uh-huh. He was particularly saying, like, you should listen to this guy, Mississippi John Hurt, and Lightning Hopkins, mm-hmm. and Joseph Spence, and all these different guys who he, he probably knew, you know, Doc right. Watson, and, and you know, I, I just was a kid who wanted to play guitar, and I wanted to be a good guitar player, so I guess he must have figured, well, this kid is enthusiastic, this, he might, we might be able to hook him into the traditional, and once he showed me how to finger pick, which he showed me right from the beginning, I didn't know nothing about using a pick. Mm-hmm. until I got into a rock band with my little buddies <laughs> and Patrick Newberry showed up with his Les Paul and his pick. And I said, pick? What is this all about? And I brought the pick to Peter Pickow. I brought the pick to Peter Pickow. Say that ten times. <laughs> and he said, oh, so man. We'll try it at the end of the show. <laughs> see if you can still do it. After our eighth beer. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he just... Looked at this, ah, it's easy. The finger picking's a lot harder, but you just hold it like this and you strum. <laughs> and uh, so that, that was really how I got first exposed to the traditional old time blues that, you know, in a lot of ways sort of became my, my life's obsession in a way, you know. But it, but it clicked right away somehow, something about it. Well, you know, made, he might have showed it to somebody else, and they'd be like, "Whatever," but it worked for you somehow. It made sense. Yeah, I kind of figured it out, and he had a real nice way of teaching. Uh-huh. Everything he showed me, he said, was easy. <laughs> and then I started bringing him some of my favorite stuff, like you know, "Roundabout" by Yes, and and he showed me how to play "Stairway to Heaven," which <laughs> at that time was very progressive. Okay. So you know, I I worked on that and. Uh, <laughs> but also was working on this, these more difficult rags. Really, what, what, what blew my mind about that stuff was, I mean, truth be told, Jimi Hendrix was really my first guitar idol. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I love Jimi Hendrix. In fact, I didn't know if you could play a guitar left-handed. I was trying to play it right-handed, and I couldn't do it. I could not play right-handed. And then when I realized that Jimi Hendrix was left-handed, I said, well, then this is it. You know, I, I mm-hmm. said, well, it can be done. And not only can it be done, it can be done extremely well. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I liked about Hendrix was that unlike, you know, Clapton and Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck and all the other guitar heroes of that time who, you know, played rhythm guitar and then played flashy, great solos, Hendrix seemed to have, like, everything going on at once. Mm-hmm. And that's what the finger picking sounded like to me. Uh-huh. You had the bass line, you had the chords, and then the melody. Uh-huh. And so that when I sense. heard that, I said, well, this, this is the stuff. I mean, this is... <laughs> it this is, is similar. You don't hear that often enough. I don't, I don't hear that. It, but it's true. It, you keep the music melody going at the same time. The chords, yeah. And that, that's what really, really caught my ear about that stuff. And then when I started to explore some of the old masters, mm-hmm. you know, the John Hurts and the Reverend Gary Davis, and it just, you know, that, that was just opened up the whole door to just wanting to, to play like that. Mm-hmm. Well, can we hear you do a, maybe a John Hurts song or, sure. or something you were working on around that time that still is with you? Well... 
the lake is gathered around a good sweet cake. A man's in town, candy man. Candy man. He's got good candy. Nine inches long, he sells it fast. I often choose corn candy John Hurt been playing that one a long time. <laughs> That's a fun one. And and so you you were learning there what you're about four, 14, 15? Yeah, that? mostly through my teenage years. Okay. I got kind of obsessed with that stuff as only a teenager can, right. you know. <laughs> Has the time to zone in on and all that. Yeah, I'd like to think I'd like to say it kept me off the streets, but I still found time to get in trouble <laughs> whenever I had the chance. It's always available when necessary. And um, so you were playing around New York while we were talking. You mentioned me. You met some some of those old time New York guys like Dave Van Ronk. And I, right before we went on, you were telling me about he has a story about Mississippi John Hurt. Yeah. Well, I, when I when I uh, I went to college, you know, in upstate New York, um, and I started. That's when I started to really play around seriously as mm -hmm. much as I could. Um, and, and started to make a little bit of a reputation. I, when I was, I guess I was 17 or 18, I, I went into a little coffee house, and next thing you know, I was uh, doing a show with Roy Bookbinder and had the chance to meet Paul Jeremiah, some of the great, you know, mm -hmm. great blues pickers from the 60s. And uh, I lived in Boston for a few years after that, and uh, the last show I did in Boston was I did a show with Dave Van Rock. And uh, I had this thing. I, he, was, he was real nice. He, he gave me, I guess, which would be about as good a compliment as you can, from, can get from Dave Van Rock. I was just finishing off my set, and I looked out in the wings, and 
I looked and smiled at him, and he, he looked at me, and he gave a good old, big old grin and did one of this. He went... <laughs> I said, all right, okay, I, I, I think he likes it. Thumbs up. And uh, so at the break, I had a chance. He was just sitting off by himself, and I had the chance to go over, and I thought, let me go say hello to this guy, you know? He seems like he's fairly approachable. And um, so I said, hey, how you doing? You know, he said, oh, I'm doing okay. I said, you know, he said, yeah, you sound pretty good there, kid. And, and I said, uh, I said, well, you know, I want to ask you a question if it's okay. I said, as you could probably hear from the way I play, Mississippi John Hurd is, is one of my big heroes. He said, oh, yeah, I can hear you doing some of that stuff. I said, but you can probably also tell, I hope, from that you can tell that I, I'm, I've probably wasn't really, I'm not really old enough to have had the chance to meet him. I said, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't hanging around in bars in Greenwich Village in 1965. I just, not quite old enough for that, that category. And uh, I said, but he, here's something I always want to ask guys who, who, I said, you knew Mississippi John Hurt, didn't you? He said, oh yeah, I do Mississippi John. I knew Mississippi John. I said, well, I want to ask you something, man. What was, his, what was he like? I said, his music and his recordings present this, just this warmth, mm -hmm. this, this great feeling that can just pull you out of a depression just yeah. by listening to him. I said, what was he like? He says, oh, Mississippi John, he was, he was a very sweet little old man. I said, oh, okay. And then he says, no, he was really little. <laughs> And, of course, Van Rock was a giant. If you've ever seen Van Rock, I mean, he was every way big. And I said, well, yeah, I know. And I, I had had the chance to, 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 to meet and hang out with Paul Jeremiah a little bit previous to that. I said, yeah, yeah, I was talking to Paul Jeremiah about that. And uh, that's kind of what Jeremiah said, that he was a real sweet little man. And now Van Rock, I could see, I, I didn't intend to, but I think I presented him with a challenge. Because he kind of, he starts rubbing his little goatee. He says, you can hear him thinking, so, so Jeremiah beat me to the punch on him. He says, come here. Like he's calling me closest. You know, we were in the village one, 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 one night in the 60s. You know, in the 60s. He said, and we, we, were all in a, we, were, we were all in a circle. And you know, we were in a circle. You know, a bunch of us. And you know, Things get passed around a circle. <laughs> and he's whispering it, because this is like a church coffee house. I think he's wondering. He might not speak too loud. And he said, you know, Mississippi John was in the circle, and I was in the circle. And things started getting passed around the circle. And he came to old Mississippi John, and he took it in his hand. He looked at it, and he smiled, and he said, hmm, Paul Mann's whiskey. <laughs> and I shook his hand, and I said, thank you. That's the kind of story I was looking for. And we had a good laugh about that. <laughs> that's good. And that's my little memory of knowing this Dave Van Ronk. When he passed away, I remembered that, and I said, well, okay. I had a little, I had a little fun with, with, with the old master. <laughs> what was this? Um, talked to someone else who met John Hurd, and I heard... I did not hear the phrase "poor man's whiskey," but uh, now also a similar enthusiasm. It's <laughs> um, 
So what what brought you to Chicago? You were you're hanging out on the East Coast. You're playing music. You got meeting interesting people. Why why leave? Well, Boston is a nice city. Uh-huh. It's a great great city. I enjoyed being there, but it, it wasn't feeling like my final home. And uh, I started exploring other places. You know, I took a a trip up to Montreal. I thought maybe it might be kind of fun, you know, to maybe I'll live in Montreal because it's a great city. But you know, I spent a week there and I had so much fun. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, if I move here, I won't live six months. <laughs> I said, I'll have too much fun here. This will be the end. <laughs> so I crossed that one off the list. And a, a friend of mine, he had grown up in Chicago and his brother had become a sports writer, I think for the Sun-Times. Uh-huh. And one day he says, look, man, my brother, he's, he's got tickets to the first night game at Wrigley. Uh, I said, oh, man, that sounds that cool. 80, 80, 80, 88, 88, 88, right? 88. I said, well, that's cool. He said, well, he doesn't have a ticket for you. <laughs> he said, but I'm going to Chicago, and I know you want to see Chicago. And I'm bought rent. I'm a friend of mine is going to be out of town, and she's got a great condo. In fact, it was right where the House of Blues is now. That wow. that that high I don't remember that what they call Marina it. Marina Towers. Yeah. 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 He said so. It's a great location. He said we'll get tickets to Wrigley, like you know, that weekend. So we'll go go because uh-huh. he knows I like baseball. He said. I said yeah, but I got to see Wrigley Field. Yeah. He said no, we'll get we'll get tickets. We'll go to Wrigley, but. That game, as anybody knows, was like, you know, I mean, that, the first night game in Wrigley is like an historic event. Right. The rain, you know, rain, and rain. It, was, it rained out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it ended up getting rained out. <laughs> that to, how, were, how appropriate. The, 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 the players were sliding along the, the tarp. That was fun, yeah. 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 So I went and, uh, you know, we spent a long weekend just Prowling around Chicago, I had a chance to see the, the Sons of Blues, uh-huh. and I had a chance to, to meet and, 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 and talk with Detroit Jr., the great piano player, and I said, this is where I'm going to move. I said, this is, I said, this is a city that you can't just, this isn't a tourist city. Uh-huh. I said, the good stuff is underground. You got to live here. Mm-hmm. And, you know... I, th- I think I think Detroit Jr. might have been the final yeah. thing after meeting him. And funny thing, you know, five six years later, I'm playing the Detroit Jr.'s band. Detroit Jr. He was with the, what? The piano Howlin player. Wolf, he right? played with Howlin' yeah. Wolf uh-huh. in the '60s. Yeah. And then I got to know him a little bit once I moved here, and by '95 '96, I was playing in his band. Cool. And I've played the Blues Fest with Billy Branch. Uh huh. And I've known him a little bit, so it, was, it seemed like well, you know. All these guys who like inspired me to move here, who I just saw as like these, you know, yeah. these, these legendary guys. You know, but so you're playing here. electric guitar at the same time as the, as acoustic. You're not just an acoustic guy. Yeah, when, you come when, to I, when I was a kid, I wanted right. to be an electric guitar player. Yeah. You know, I played in a band with me and my little hoodlum buddies. We, uh-huh. You know, we played all the Led Zeppelin and Clapton and some Hendrix. You know, that the the acoustic blues that was my thing. Yeah. That was my, you know, all my buddies were doing, you know, we had a little rock band. Right. And, but the acoustic thing, that was, that was my personal thing. 
In fact, my, I remember our crowning achievement was doing Stairway to Heaven in its entirety. <laughs> and contributing my little contribution to the, to the folk process right. was when we finished our dramatic, you know, Stairway to Heaven with the... And the extended guitar solo, and the singer would go, and she's very dramatic, and... I would come in with this. I ragtimed it. And I tell my little buddies, check it out, man, I'm gonna ragtime stay away to heaven. And they were, hey, that's cool, man. That's cool. So that was Well were you uh was that with you that uh Devil in the Woodpile did uh was it bon- bon- the Led Zeppelin song? No, that was, was later. later. We, okay. we were we talking about doing that. that stuff. We'll get there later then. Okay. Yeah, that was that was yeah. uh yeah, we were talking about doing that stuff. But uh but never never got around. We we did record uh Radar Love. Okay. Yeah. But it but it didn't <laughs> get released. Apparently well, it's still in the can somewhere. <laughs> For, for the archives. Well, we'll this, get to Devil yeah. in the Woodpile, but what sort of stuff are you you playing with Detroit Jr.? What kind of music are you playing with him? Uh, you know, all the blues standards that he did, his yeah. tunes. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, electric guitar was a regular four or five-piece band, usually a five-piece band. Could, could you give us an example, just some kind of like Chicago blues stuff like you were playing well, when he, you came here? Well, he did all the standards. Right, yeah. And, you know, then he had his own songs. See if I can remember this one. One of my favorite songs of his, he'd go, Last call for alcohol. Last call for alcohol. Last call for alcohol. The clock on the wall says that's all. The clock on the wall says that's all. Trying to see if I remember some of the words he said. There's a fella been drinking all night. He don't know it, but he lost his wife. When you got a beautiful lady sitting with you, getting drunk and stupid is not the thing to do. Last call. You got a whole bunch of funny lyrics like that. That's, so, that kind of I mean he was a, he was a really good songwriter uh-huh. funny stuff what, 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 what would you say you learned most from playing with with him well working with a piano player the piano player you know, yeah. I mean the thing about you know working with a piano player is the piano covers so much sound uh-huh that you know the guitar player's job isn't really being like the constant rhythm or the constant lead but it's finding ways to to Kick the groove and fill in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, Detroit was an amazing guy. When I knew him, he was starting to get real sick. He he was on dialysis. Uh huh. Three three I think two or three days a week. I never forget the first time I worked with him. It was at the Checkerboard Lounge. Uh huh. And I knew him a little bit before that, and he always liked my playing when I would go and sit in. He would. We would, I'd play some tunes and he'd be sitting there and he'd look at me and go, hey, you, you, I'm gonna get with you, man. You're, yeah, you're, you can, you can play. I said, well, thanks, man. And uh, I'll never forget it. He had been in dialysis that day. It was yeah. a Friday night, 
And man, I'll tell you, he was sitting there before we started the gig, started the show, and I mean, he just curled up in a ball like I was looking at him. They put his piano on the stage. He took the cover off. The cover almost knocked him down. He was that weak. And all I kept thinking was, oh man, you know, we gotta, we're gonna have to carry the old man. You know, he's sick, he's tired. We'll have to like double time it to keep him. He sat down with that piano and he turned around and he said, messing with the kid, D. He played that thing so fast so right on the money, that I couldn't keep up with him. <laughs> it just automatic pilot. I've been doing it for what, 40 years yeah, or something, yeah. right? We took the set break, yeah. he sat down at the front table, got his coat curled up in a ball like, he just leave me alone, I just wanna rest. Mm. Got on stage, automatic pilot. He didn't, he didn't know halftime. It was, it was remarkable. That was it, that was Yeah, I mean that's, if anything I learned was, you know, I mean, it's, when the bell goes off, it goes off. <laughs> no excuses. What, what was it like hanging out at Checkerboard back in, what, what years is it, early 90s? Um, 90s? Through, the 90s. Through the 90s. Yeah, yeah, down there on the south side of 43rd. Yeah, there were a lot of, a lot of characters. <laughs> the Black Lone Ranger was always in the house. Does anyone remember the Black Lone Ranger? Who was the Black Lone Ranger? He was the Black Lone Ranger. <laughs> I, I guess I could picture that. He was a he was black and he was the Lone Ranger. <laughs> Did he, he sing or he Oh, he out? was a great singer. He 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 his claim to fame was that he said that he used to sing and he knew Muddy Waters. And Muddy Waters told him that he could sing his songs. He talked uh -huh. to me and said, "Muddy told me that I can sing his songs and I'm doing them right and that's why I sing." He did a lot of Muddy Waters. So he didn't do like Cowboy music or anything. No, it was no, too, he, he just happened to be the Lone Ranger. He dressed up like the Lone Ranger. He had two cap guns too that he would pull out. He was wow. something. I tell you, you know, another one of these guys, man. I mean, he was something else. He knew exactly what he wanted from a band. Uh huh. He was in a way. If it wasn't right, he'd turn around. He'd stop the song. He'd say, "Take your time." And that's what I knew about the Lone Ranger, his back. <laughs> if he turned around, you were in trouble. <laughs> and then one day there was another guitar player sitting in, uh -huh. and I got to sit in front, and I finally understood the Black Lone Ranger. He was incredibly entertaining. Uh -huh. I mean, he was, he was a great singer, real deeply embedded with the blues tradition, and he was hilarious. I mean, he was big smile on his face and he'd pull out the cap guns and he was he was really something i think he passed away probably early 2000s maybe yeah. something like that late 90s they said that they had a cot in the back of the checkerboard lounge that he slept in <laughs> that was the rumor because he, he would clean up sometimes after uh -huh. you'd see him cleaning up afterwards so i don't know what his deal i didn't ask questions wow but he was he was a he was something else. That black <laughs> and of course Lefty Diz was always hanging around. BB uh, Odom, I got uh -huh. to play behind him like a, a week before he died. He mm. was right right after we started playing at the Checkerboard Lounge, and he came in and sat in, 
And then, like, uh, a week later, I went back to the gig, and Harmonica Hines said, you know, B.B. Odom sang with us last week. I said, yeah, he was great. He said, man, he was in a car wreck the other day. He was killed. I said, oh, it's terrible. He sang like B.B. King. Yeah. That's why they called him B.B. Odom. I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah he's on some old he records, some Delmark things or okay. something. Well, could, could you play for us some of the, the, I know you don't have a band with you, but some of the kind of Chicago blues stuff you were playing around then? Well, here's one that maybe the Black Lone Ranger might have done. This one's for the Black Lone Ranger. <laughs> we'll do this one for the Black Lone Ranger. Don't see how it's done. She moves me, man. Honey, and I don't see how it's done. She got a pocket full of money. Won't try to help me not. She moved me when she gets drunk. And she said, I'm not nowhere. She called me a dumbbell. She said, Ain't nothing but a square. She moves me, man. Don't see how it's done. She got a pocket full of money. The little girl won't try to help me. crazy man and then he said now I'm not so dumb I took her to a funeral boys you know the dead jumped up and run she looked at the deaf and the dumb boys shouted and now I can speak shook a finger in a blind man's face once was blind, but now I see she moves me, man. Honey, I don't see how it's done. She got a pocket full of money, and little girl won't try. Little girl won't try. Little girl won't try to help me know.
he was one of those guys who you never quite knew when he was going to change to the next uh, to the next chord. Next chord, yeah. He was always a challenge. <laughs> and if you didn't get it right, well, that was your fault. That was on you. <laughs> <laughs> when did he shoot off the cap gun? Was that the end there? Did he yeah, shoot them off? Yeah, sometimes in the gone? middle. No, I, I don't. He never. I don't. He, they weren't loaded. Ah. Oh. Fortunately, they, they didn't. They didn't have caps on. For the best. He just pull them out and. How about uh, Lefty Diz? Ever these people who met him always talk about him as a real interesting character. Yeah, yeah. The first time I met Lefty Diz, and set up who he was, you know, for those who might not know. Too. Well, Lefty Diz was—he was a great Chicago blues man. Um, in fact, if you ever saw that video with the Rolling Stones at the Checkerboard Lounge, it was on PBS, I oh, think. It's great. It's on YouTube. He. He comes in and just it just it becomes his room for a he while. He came in and did the lefty dish stick. Yeah. I mean, he was a real he was a real entertaining guy. I mean, he was just that's what he did. Mm -hmm. But he was a great guitar player. He played upside down. Uh huh. He played upside down, and uh, he was he was very very supportive of me when I first knew him a little bit, which was kind of nice. Uh huh. Um, he'd always kind of come up to you and say. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> Everything's going to work out fine. And he, when you'd see him play somewhere at midnight, he'd take a half pint of whiskey and he'd say, the blues can't be sung until after midnight. And then he'd <laughs> throw the whole thing down. Now we're ready to sing the blues. Now it's the blues time. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was something else. Uh, the first, the first time I, I met him was when I was first in Chicago, and he used to play that joint across the street from Wrigley Field. The Cubby Bear, yeah? How's it going? Not the Cubby Bear. The Wrigley side? Uh, it's, it's not there anymore. It. Yeah, okay. The Wrigleyville, the Wrigley side. It was upstairs. They had an upstairs music room, and he would pack that place. And a couple of friends of mine were visiting town, and we went to see the Cubs game. And uh, <coughs> he was doing his thing, uh -huh. and there was no stage. You know, the, the crowded, and the band was, like, surrounded by the people. And on the set break, he comes right up to me, and he says, you're a guitar player. He must have seen me, like, studying his hands or something. Yeah. He said, You're, you play guitar, don't you? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. He said, yeah, I can tell that. He said, I said, well, I haven't been living around town too long. Well, I've only been living around six months. He said, well, who, where are you working? Who you work with? I said, well, I, actually, I, I work with Harmonica Hines. I just started working with Hines. He says, Hines? He's on my latest record. I said, I know. I saw it. He said, well, you're going to come up and sit in with us for the next set. I said, well, here's the thing. I was, I was embarrassed because I said, I'm left-handed like you, but I play a left-handed guitar. I can't play your guitar. I can't play it upside down. Uh -huh. He says, that's why I learned how to play it the way I learned how to play it. <laughs> I said, but he said, I'll catch up with you again. I said, well, I, I hope I do. And I did. You know, mm -hmm. once I was at the checkerboard, I, I was, 
we did I did a few gigs with him. Uh-huh. And in fact, there was a great picture someone took. I, I hope I still have it. I don't know where it is, but he's real tall, yeah. and I'm not. And uh, we're both playing Stratocasters, and the picture is perfect because I'm standing like sort of behind him because he was the leader, right. and like it, it's like this perfect shadow thing. I look like a shadow okay. behind him. The, the guitars are both going in the same uh -huh. direction. They're both Stratocasters. We're both wearing hats. Of course, he was black and I'm not, but I don't. that's why it looked like a shadow. Like a white shadow. Yeah. It's a really cool shot on, on the, you know, the checkerboard stage. Uh -huh. That old one, the old one, not real ragged. And well, how about, and how did you... You told me before we got started an interesting story how you ended up playing with Harmonica Hines for the first time. That, and, well, that, that was, was interesting. Yeah, that was. Uh, seems like every time when I first got to Chicago, every time something like bad seemed to happen, something good came out of it. Uh huh. And I well, just to give you the back backdrop, when I when I first came to the city. I mean, truth be told, I got some places you can go to from some of the guys I knew in, in Boston. They said, yeah. well, here are some places you can go and, you know, you can see if you can get some gigs when you get out there. And they gave me the name of this, this place, this well-known coffee house. He said, you know, you go up here. He says, it doesn't pay much. You might make 20, 25 bucks, but it's the break-in gig. Everyone gets booked there, and uh -huh. then it's a known place, so you can play there and get more gigs. Uh -huh. So I went up to this place when they had the open mic, and I blew the audition. They wouldn't hire me. <laughs> I said, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm screwed, man. I mean, I, I kind of shot my, my, my wad moving out here, <laughs> and now what do I do? Uh -huh. I didn't, I, I, I blew the no-brainer. So I, I, I took my guitar and I did what any decent musician would do. I took it down into the subways. And I played in the subways and figured, well, I'll make enough money to figure out where I'm going to go next. Yeah. I was ready to hit the road. I said, where am I going to go next? I'm not going to make it here. And uh, that's where I met this, uh, this, this Japanese guitar player named Shun Kaikuta. And he had also just moved to Chicago from Boston, he had been at the Berkeley School of Music, and I heard him playing, he was playing really beautiful jazz guitar, but he wanted to be a blues man. Uh -huh. So he, he came to the city, and he was in the subways playing, I think, Misty, and I stopped and I said, man, that sounds real good. Boy, you're a great guitar player. And it turns out he was down and out too. Mm -hmm. He had gotten ripped off, I think they got his clothes and his guitar, and he managed to get himself another guitar. He said, oh, man, this is terrible. I got ripped off, and so I'm trying to make a little money here in the subways. And he said, why don't you get your guitar? Let's jam. So we jammed, and he, he really dug my blues playing. He said, man, he said, you really play the blues. And it turns out he was working with the great Louis Myers every Sunday at Roses. And he said, you will come to Roses on Sunday because Lewis would like your playing. You should meet Lewis and you'll play with Lewis. I said, oh, well, I mean, I'll come down and see you. Lewis Myers, he's one of my heroes. And, uh, you know, I was learning his stuff off the old little Walter records. 
for some of the bands I was playing with, you know, before I came to Chicago. So I went down, and Shun got me up, and he was right. You know, I got along pretty good with Lewis, and I, I learned a lot playing with Every week that I could, I'd go down there Sunday night and sit in with Lewis for a set or so. And uh, one night I walked in, and it was strange. Second I walked in, Shun, like, he was, like, real happy to see me. He said, come on, get your guitar out. Get up right now. I said, wow, cool, you know, so I don't have to wait or anything. And so I got up and I played. And it turns out, he told me this later, there was this other guitar player, very excellent guitar player. But he didn't, I, I, he, he, he didn't play well with Lewis. Uh -huh. Very flashy, and he would, he would, like, take over the show because he was real good. Yeah. But Shun, you know, he wanted to play with Lewis. He said, you know, I don't want to play with this guy. I'm here to play with Lewis. And then he would dominate the show, and it just wasn't fun for him. So in I walk. So this is great. I'll let Paul deal with this, and I can just wait until Lewis comes back. So sure, I mean, sure enough, Shun was right. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm playing and trying to do my thing, make a little place. And... You know, every time it would be my turn to solo, it was kind of a, you know, a little jamming. This dude would be playing louder than me. But it's my turn to solo, you know? So we finished the song, and uh, it says, I'm trying to be real polite and respectful. I said, look, I love your playing. I mean, you're, you're a hell of a guitar player. But you know, when I'm soloing, you're probably not aware of it, but you're playing a lot louder than me. So I can't really, you know, hear myself soloing. Would it be cool if you could... He looks at me. He gets up to the mic, to the eight people who were in the place. I mean, this wasn't like, it wasn't like Carnegie Hall on a good night. He says, ladies and gentlemen, this young man is Paul. He is now going to play. He's just told me that he wants to play solo. And I said, and meanwhile, the rest of the band is kind of going, you do? I said, no, no, man. I'm not here to play. And, you know, Tony, the, the owner, he was the drummer. He said, well, you can play solo if you want. I said, I don't want to play solo. I'm here. He says, well, all right. And they start putting their instruments down. He said, well, we need to take a break. And he didn't know what was going on. He said, we don't, we, we need to take a break anyway. So I said, oh, all right. Geez, I, I didn't mean to break up the party, you know. So I go up to the bar. And, uh. Mama Rosa comes up. I order a beer. She says, you can play solo? I said, yeah. As a matter of fact, that's mostly what I did before I moved here. I can play all night solos. You can play solo? You go up. You play some solo for me. I said, well, I mean, I want to. He said, oh, go up and play solo. So you show me what you can do. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll go up and play solo if the harmonica player would join me. And she turns to Harmonica Hines, who's standing against the wall real mysterious dude to me at that time. He didn't say much. A little intimidating. Mm -hmm. He says, Heinz, you want to play with this guy? Go up and play with this guy. I said, he says, well, all right, sure. So we just, you know, we just started doing a little Jimmy Reed thing, you know, a little... And he's blowing the hell out of the harp. If anybody's heard Harmonica Heinz, I highly recommend it. He's one of the best. He still uh -huh. plays all over the city at Buddy Guys and Lagunitas and all these different places. Um, I don't work with him too much these days. Yeah. But uh, 
So we start this little Jimmy Reed thing. We start getting about halfway through it. The bass player wanders up and picks up his bass and starts joining us. And then Tony goes back behind the drums. By the time the song was over, the whole band was back. And we started jamming again. It was really cool, very spontaneous. And then afterwards, Heinz comes up to me and says, look, man, you can do that kind of stuff a lot? I said, man, I can play that stuff for days. He said, well, if you can play solo like that, we can do some stuff around the city. We can do a two-piece and do different things. Mm -hmm. I said, man, I'm making my living playing in the subways, and I'm not too crazy about it. So, you know, if you can get me some gigs, man, you sign me up. I gave him the card, my card. I said, you call me or tell me what I have to do. Mm -hmm. And then he started, you know, then he called me. And I worked with him about seven, eight years uh -huh. after that. He, he, he lined up the checkerboard gig. That's as, how you got in with checkerboard. That's how we, because he, he knew that we were playing pretty good, and he wanted to help me get into the scene a little bit. Yeah. And he knew that was pretty much ground zero at that right. point. And uh, so he set up this odd, like, Monday after work set, like at <laughs> 6 o'clock. Uh-huh. And, uh, I mean, when I first walked in there with my acoustic guitar, I mean, those guys sitting at the bar, they didn't know what to think. It's all, it's all electric Chicago blues. Yeah, and I don't right? think anyone walked yeah. in there with an acoustic guitar in decades. Yeah. You know, and, and these guys didn't want to be bothered with some, you know, folky coming in there. They were, it was after work. I mean, right. these guys they were working. They were just drinking, blues. playing cards. It's like, don't bother me with nothing, you know. And, um, but Heinz came in, and we did our thing, and, and, and they liked it. You know, mm -hmm. it went over. I remember, like, the third week, was up there playing, and I hear this voice from the back of the bar. He says, Heinz, who that white boy you got up there playing with you? He says, that's Paul K. <laughs> and I hear him say, he sounds pretty good. And I said, I guess I've made it. I've been accepted. I'm okay. <laughs> and then that's, that's why I, I met a lot of really good musicians. Junior Wells came through, played with us a few, few times. Um, Lewis, I, after a while, David Myers, Lewis's brother, he came in with his beaten up old Yamaha acoustic guitar. And I mean, Heinz had told me about it. He said, I got a call from David Myers and he was wondering if it's okay if uh, he sat in with us this Monday. I said, "Is it okay? Why, why, <laughs> why are you calling me with this?" He says, "Well, it's all respect, you know. You're on the gig, and I'm on the gig, and you have to give permission as well as me." I said, "I give yes. you my permission." One of the great blues yeah. artists of all time has my permission to sit and play guitar with us. <laughs> Share the spotlight with me on Monday afternoon on the south side of Chicago. And we played almost until Dave passed away. We got to be good friends. And I literally watched him relearn the guitar. Because if you know the history, in the late 40s and 50s, the Chicago blues was a, a, an a there would be guitar players who specialized in running the bass line uh -huh. and guitar players who specialized in doing the hot riffs and the yeah. licks. Dave specialized in the real deep rhythm, the stuff. 
and Lewis, his brother, would be doing like. Uh-huh. Uh, <coughs> can we get can we get an example of the sort of songs they'd be doing? Let's sure. Do some music, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the Myerses and uh, and some of those other folks you're playing with. Something like. Um, to do these these are older men right there in their what their, their 60s or so yeah yeah they'd be in their 60s yeah. uh, Lewis passed away he was 64 65 mm-hmm. and Dave was into his 70s mm-hmm. when he went but he liked to do like um,
See, what, 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 what Dave would do to, to, to help me play the right part uh -huh. was he would do the rhythm part. And then I would, of course, I knew the licks, but I didn't really know the phrasing. Uh -huh. So if I wasn't singing, playing it right, he'd start going like this. He'd say, chong, 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 chong. He'd start singing the uh -huh. right rhythm parts. I started. And once I got the phrasing right, then he'd smile and then go back to the song. Uh -huh. So that's, that's a, a good way that I was able to learn like the right way to play some of those lead parts because mm -hmm. he, he hadn't he hadn't played the guitar in, in 30 years so that was him coming back to it when he started playing with bringing the acoustic he yeah decide, he, he told what, me why did he stop what was his well he he be, he became he he's like most famous for introducing the electric bass into chicago blues yeah, yeah. when he was playing all these hard bass uh, lines gotcha. in the 50s uh -huh. the fender guys came to him with a with a with an electric fender bass mm -hmm. and gave it to him and said you know you can use this and you can play the bass lines and and that really changed everything because before that you would have the upright bass so player. he started on the upright bass doing trying he to started do on the guitar stuff. on guitar so he was a guitar player guitar. doing like the wet right. like i just uh -huh. mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and then lewis would be going like Riffs right. and he'd be laying the bottom and keep keeping the groove going. And that was a standard. If you listen to all the old records from yeah. the 50s, you can hear like Luther Tucker and Robert Lockwood. Uh -huh. There would always be one guy running a lot of the bass lines, improvising mm -hmm. on the bass yeah. lines, and doing real, like keeping the groove, and one guy doing the hot licks and the chords. Mm -hmm. um, Dave's role was playing the bass lines, and Lewis. That's why Lewis got known as like the hot guitar player. You talk to some of the old guys who knew these guys back when, and they would say, oh, well, you know, Lewis was a great guitar player. Ah, Dave, he wasn't really a guitar player, but really he had this great style. But once he started playing the electric bass, he didn't need to play mm -hmm. the, the, the guitar, guitar anymore. And it, instead of having an upright bass player and a, a guitar player doing bass lines, now you could have one guy doing the bass lines, so it had the punch of the guitar, mm -hmm. but it had the range and the low sound of the upright bass. Uh -huh. So it, it became more economically practical. When he started, yeah, he kind of laid the groundwork for that stuff. Well, when you, we were talking about yeah. Hoodoo Man Blues, yeah. well, that was a band that was bass, guitar and drums. Mm -hmm. That was a 60s blues sound. They didn't, you know, that by the 60s you started seeing a lot more trios. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he, he told me that he, he hadn't played guitar in the 30 years, but he had this old guitar lying around the house and uh, he was just sitting around fooling around with it and he started hearing me and Harmonica Hines doing our thing and it reminded him of back in the old days uh -huh. and he was starting to play and he just wanted to come and sit in with us to kind of get his chops back on the guitar because he thought it would be fun and he came that one day and he never left <laughs> and for years every week and i just watched him you know get better and better at it i, I mean i literally watched yeah. him get his chops back it was it was really something 
to watch. And of course, I was always picking up his licks. Mm -hmm. He used to refer to me as the thief, <laughs> the robber. Did, did these guys realize how important they were to blues and you know rock and roll uh, he, and all that stuff? Did they get it? He knew. Yeah. He knew that he, they, but he was very generous. I mean, uh -huh. there are all these guys who would talk like John Primer. Right. You know, buddy guy. I mean, they, they, he had, a, he carried kind of this status that, you know, I mean, he could go anywhere. No one, you know, everyone. He knew if he went into a blues club, people would know who he was. And yeah, he was and he special. Could, yeah, he could. He, you know, I mean, yeah, he was. He was one of the old, old pros, and a lot of guys learned from him. I think, mm -hmm. you know, picked up his style and that kind of thing. Yeah, I remember seeing him. He was in a wheelchair at the end. Well, but I remember, I yeah. mean, I was, I'm younger than you, but I remember he, he'd come into Rosa's or he'd come in the room. Everybody was like, yeah, yeah there he is. He was yeah. always out and about. Yeah, he was. He was I was always running into him, buddy guys, <laughs> legends in different yeah. places like that. We, we had a lot of laughs. We, en we enjoyed hanging around together. He had, like, diabetes. Mm -hmm, That's right. why he was slowly but surely yeah. losing body parts. He was in a wheelchair the last time I saw him too. Yeah. How about how about uh, how do you meet up with um, Honey Boy Edwards? Who, what, what he, Honey Boy lived to be what? How old did he? Ninety six. He was ninety six. He was he was almost with playing Robert Johnson when he died. This was a guy who was yeah. with the whole history of what you know we call a lot of the blues music. He was there. Yeah, no, how to, did, to, to him, to Robert him? Johnson wasn't even anything. He was just an old buddy of his. <laughs> right. He just thought of Robert Johnson as like, you know, one of his drinking buddies. I mean, that's really... <laughs> uh, but he learned from... He played with Charlie Patton and Tommy uh -huh. Johnson and wow. it was almost no one... I mean, I'd bring up a name and he'd go, oh yeah, you know, I'd play I with him, play guy. with that guy, this other guy, yeah. Well, <clears throat> the, fir the first time I crossed paths with him was actually... In a way, it was like through Studs Terkel. Uh -huh. um, when I was first playing around town, um, you probably, probably know Deborah Laterer, the artist. You know, she has the Printmakers Collaborative. She was coming around, and we got to be good friends for a few years. And she told me about this thing that Studs Terkel did uh, called the the the. It was a square, the something, oh, the bug house the square, bug house debates, square right? thing, yeah. yeah. It's and coming he, up again. Oh, they still back. do it. Yeah, they still do it. They still do they it. They still do it. I just yeah, saw it on okay. Facebook. Okay, because it was his yearly, you know, commemorative. But it was that. his deal. Yeah, it, it was, was his, his deal. deal. Yeah, yeah, he was did this thing, and she somehow had a connection, and she said you should play that, mm -hmm. and she did. She got me booked on it, and I remembered Maxwell Street, Jimmy Davis was there, and Honey Boy was there. Uh huh. And that was when I first, like, you know, crossed paths with him. And I didn't really get a chance to talk to him, but I was warming up backstage knowing he was sitting right there. So I was yeah. trying to play my hottest stuff. Ah, let's see <laughs> if the old man notices. And then a little, a few years later, a couple of years later, maybe a year or two later, when I started playing around with Rick Sherry, uh -huh, you know, right. a, a kind of a pre-Devil in a Woodpile thing. We, would, we were playing at Buddy Guys pretty regularly, and Rick was getting to know Honey Boy a little bit. He was going mm -hmm. over and knowing him a little bit, yeah. and we finished a gig, and he said, how about we go over and hang out with Honey Boy a little bit? 
I said, twist my arm. Right. Let's go over there. So we dragged all our stuff over there, and we went to his apartment. We just jammed all night. Yeah. And that was when I really knew him. And later on, did it still excite Honey Boy to jam? I mean, after all those years, he still loved playing. He 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 loved it. Yeah. Some of the best times were like at his his apartment with some of the you know the the regular neighborhood folks just Uh hanging around. Drinking whiskey, and we'd, we'd bring a case of Rolling Rock over there, and and a little bit of whiskey, and other things. Where'd he live? <laughs> he, he, li- he always lived on the south side. Okay. On the south side. He lived in the Where middle you, of it. You bring him the poor man's whiskey over to Honey Boy, too? A little bit of, yeah, a little poor man's whiskey, and, and rich man's whiskey, and uh-huh. some beer, and we'd, and we'd sit around and, and, and just get playing, and... I mean, about you know, two thirty, three in the morning, we'd finish off and just have a have a ball. He yeah. he loved it. You know, he loved having the young guys. I think it energized them. Mm-hmm. And you know, he always liked my style because I I really liked playing the old blues. Right. So I I was playing all the stuff that I learned from the old records. Yeah. The Tommy Johnson. He was playing that stuff that he learned directly from these guys. From so Tommy I knew Johnson. this stuff. <laughs> Yeah. So I knew what to do, right. but I mean, you know, it was very different. That was the world he came up in. Right. Was what you were listening to on records. So yeah. you know, he he respected that that I was you know really into into the music and I could play the stuff pretty good and that I really was sensitive to what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And then we just started doing gigs from there, and that you know for a while, Devil in a Woodpile was pretty much his. Chicago backup band. Uh-huh, right. And then when I left that band, I kind of figured, well, that's all right. You know, I had my time. I can go and visit him in any time I want. And But, you know, I probably won't be doing many gigs with him anymore. So that that's cool. I'm not complaining. A few months afterwards, I get a call from his agent. He says, man, Honey Boy just called me. He said, I have to get you gigs with him which was a pain for him because now he had to figure out how to get me in there Coordinated, in, the, you know, in, the, yeah. in the mix. Right. Knowing that I wasn't working with Devil in a Woodpile anymore. I said, really? He said, he said, yeah, he says that I have to keep work. You have to keep working. He, doesn't, he wants you to keep working with him. He said, so how much, how much do you need to play gigs <laughs> with him? What's the least you'll take? <laughs> uh, it's got to be a favorite question. I, I gave him my number. I said, I mean, I was just flattered, you know, how many yeah. guys can say that, you know, the blues legend demanded from his agent that you continue, because he didn't need me to be yeah. working, he just, he liked working yeah. with me, you know, because I, I challenged him, I, I, I didn't just play simple backup, I was always, uh-huh. the first time I did a gig with him, at the set break, he, uh, you know, I went up, I said, he was sitting there, and I said, so honey boy, how am I doing, am I giving you what you need, he says, you're doing real nice. He said, you're following me real good. You're following me real good. I said, oh, that's cool. So I leaned down into his face. I said, I'm glad I'm following you good, but someday you're going to be following me. <laughs> and he kind of, oh, okay. We got a live one. <laughs> and then we kept playing together ever since then, almost. Yeah. I did a couple of gigs with him in Wisconsin. And then he did a gig after that, like a few days later in Mississippi, that I wasn't on. And the Mississippi one was the last gig that he played before. Clarksdale, I think. Yeah, Yeah, before he got too sick, he couldn't Mm -hmm. leave his apartment and 
uh, three or four or five months later, six months later, he, he passed away. Yeah. Um, which didn't surprise me, you know, because I, not just because he was old, but I always said, people were like, man, when is this guy going to die? He's playing and he keeps going. I said, I'll tell you when he's going to die. I said, when he can't get out and play the blues and get out with the people, I said, that'll be the end. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, when he, he, he wasn't like dying, but he had weird stuff, like his legs were swollen. He had gout in his hands. Like he just, he couldn't get out. Uh -huh. I went to visit him one time and he was like in his bed. He was lying there and he couldn't really walk so well. But not because he was like, you know, in a wheelchair with diabetes, but just because weird things were happening that yeah. prevented him from getting out of bed and just getting out. He was perfectly coherent and he seemed healthy. Mm -hmm. And he play. but I said, yeah. but he couldn't get out and play. Yeah. I said, that's that's when he'll go because what keeps him going is yeah. knowing that he's going to be out there playing. He was, you know, he's ninety years old and he's talking about, yeah, we got a gig in Brazil in two years. <laughs> I said, you're thinking about the gigs you're going to have in two years. He said, oh, no, we're going to Japan next year. Wow. That's. Well, uh, is, there, is there a song you used to really like to play with him or, or something that calls to mind that time that you could play for us? Yeah, let me do this one. This was the one that the only time I ever went to his place with the intention of having him teach me something. Okay. I wanted to always wanted to learn to play catfish yeah. the way he played it. I, love how he played it. I could play it behind him, and I had, in fact, I recorded this on my CD. I have my CD here. If you want to buy one, you can you can buy it from me. I I have yeah. to plug my CD. Do it. That was um, the next question after this. So. <laughs> okay. okay. Sorry. Sorry to well, steal yeah, you. Well, no, you know, preview. <laughs> but I I always wanted to play Catfish Blues because he did it differently. He did very funky, very modern, but it was still deep and traditional. And I went to his place with the intention because I kept trying to play it like him, but I, every time I'd get close, I'd hear him play it and I was off. Mm -hmm. So I said, to hell with it. I'm going to his apartment today and I'm going to sit down and he's going to show me how to play Catfish. And I asked him, show me how to play Catfish looked at me, because I would ask him these questions sometimes, and he didn't understand me. You know, like, he said, what are you asking me that for? And he said, you know how to play catfish. We played catfish lots of times. I said, yeah, but I'm playing my behind you part, the backup part, but I want to play like you play it. He said, but you know how to play catfish. I said, well, show me how you play that lick. And he, he didn't really understand it. And so he, he started playing the lick, and all we ended up doing was just jamming on catfish for five minutes, which was never a bad thing. I mean, any time you jam it with Honey Boy in the apartment, it was a good thing. It was fun. And, but I, I never did get him to teach me catfish, but I was making it a point to play exactly what he was playing. I said, I'm going to get this. And I was, so I said, I got it. I got it. But I still didn't have it. And the next time we did a gig together, I said, oh, I'm going to remember how we did it. And I'm going to play it exactly like we did it, which I did. But he played it differently. <laughs> I said, that explains why I can't learn catfish like he plays it, because he never plays it like he plays it. <laughs> Valuable lesson. 
So I just started working on my understanding of how to play catfish based on his groove. And so here's a here's here's the catfish blues, one of my favorite tunes to play yeah. with him. I love playing this song with him. If I was a catfish swimming in the deep blue sea, I'd have all you pretty women fishing after me, 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 fishing after me. I'm gone, yes, I'm gone. Your cry won't make me stay. More you cry, not darling. For they gonna drive me away. 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 For they gonna.
my mother told my daddy the day before I was born I got a boy child coming now going to be a rolling stone going to be a rolling stone going to be a rolling stone If I was a bullfrog hanging way down by the creek, I'd have all you pretty women setting their hooks out on me, singing their forks out on me, fishing after me, fishing after me, fishing after me. Fishing after me, fishing after me, fishing. I used to have these ridiculous. Yeah, I, used to, I, I used to call them the never-ending endings. <laughs> yeah. I, th I, I think I think Honey Boy never wanted to let me get the last word in. <laughs> so I'd, I'd throw a lick, then he'd throw a lick next time, over and over again, and he'd finish his final lick, and I'd always go, yeah, touche. <laughs> well, I, I feel like we're all were lucky to hear that. That was that was that was beautiful. That was Thanks. really yeah, you got it. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your CD, maybe, and uh, we'll do a tune from that if you like, and we, we'll call it a night. I know the beers are getting towards the end, so, but uh, I know you've got this new CD you've been working on. Well, we, 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 I just did a tune from it. I yeah, did Catfish. Well, we, can, we can close out with it's that. A, That's fine. It's an electric blues CD, although it's got some traditional, elect, I guess, updated Delta blues. It's got some straight Chicago blues. I got the greatest rhythm section in the world behind me. Um, I have Harlan Turson, who most of you folks would know from the Old Town School. Great, great bass player I've known for many years. And on the drums is Kenny Beady Eyes Smith, mm -hmm. who's, um, he's gone into the family business, which is blues legend. His father was B Willie Big Eyes Smith who actually ran the legendary blues band. And now Kenny has got, I think he's got at least one Grammy. He may be working on his second. And uh, I was very lucky to, to have him on the CD. Um, I've, I've known him for about 25 years, so we sort of came up together. And he's up there with the big time guys. And I called him up, and 
he, he, you know, he, he was happy to come and help me with this project and more importantly, give me a price that I could afford <laughs> or my financial backers you, could afford. Did you give him that, what's the lowest you'll take question? Well, yeah, kind of. Actually, I, 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 I told him how much I could pay him and he kind of went, there was silence at the end of the other side. I said, that's not enough, is it? He said, well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to break your bank and I want to do the project with you and we can do it, but no. I said, okay, let me, I said, let me go talk to my guy and tell him what the deal is. And I came back with another number and he went, that's cool, that's all right. And it was, it was you know, so I mean, he, he's, a, he's a good guy. You know, he, he knows that there are guys who pay him a lot of money and have major labels and then there are guys who he's known and have been friends with for a lot of years, and so I was very lucky to have a great, great rhythm section to help me out. And we went in and did it. Yeah, weather. You you brought the hurricanes down or tornadoes or something. You hear that? Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> I guess we're all stuck here. We can't we're go all anywhere. Stuck here. <laughs> Good thing there's plenty of beer and food. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about, how about we do one more? And uh, it's just been a real pleasure having you. I know we could probably get twice as many. Three times as many stories, but it's been a lot of fun, Paul. Uh, everybody, please give Paul a big hand. Well, how about a nice round of applause for Dan? Thanks for uh, getting me involved with this. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. This is really great. It was a lot of nice. fun. And for those of you who don't know, I teach two blues classes on That's Saturdays right. at the Old Town School. So if you want to learn how to do this, I can show you how. <laughs> and also thanks to Jim Picard doing the sound oh, for of us, yeah, which sorry. is really great. And thanks to all our bartenders here at the Grafton. Tip them well. Well, let me do one from the CD. It'll be a low-down blues. This is uh, one, of the, one that came out of my demented mind. Let's see if you can... Like it enough to buy a CD. Rambling, rambling, trying to find my way. Rambling, rambling, trying to find my way. Day. I ride the blinds to New Orleans, broke out of luck, tuned up my guitar, stomping the blues to make a buck, two dozen oysters, poor boy, and a quart of beer, hightailed up to Mississippi, too goddamn hot down there, I'm rambling, rambling, trying to find my way. Day. Well, these Chattanooga women sure can scuffle and fight. Keep you up the daybreak, out by the morning light. Drove into that city, left on the bus. Can't find a woman, no good man can trust. I'm rambling, rambling.
late today Dirty hat is a, a sweet home to me. I ramble in the north, east, south, and west. Ain't no place I find my good gal. That's no place I can take my rest. Still, I'm rambling, rambling. I'm a rambling man. I'm a rambling man. I'm a rambling man. Catch it. Gone again. Well, thank you, and thanks, thanks for coming out, because without you guys, I'd just be sitting here with Dan and the sound men, sitting around bullshitting to ourselves, which, which would have been cool, but thanks for, thanks for being here, and we'll, we'll, we'll see you all again before long. <laughs>